Hello, I'm Alex McDougald, and this is INSEAD in Conversation with, an INSEAD executive education podcast series in which our guests share their stories, thoughts, and insights with us. Today, I'm with Professor Claudia Zeisberger, and we are diving into the world of corporate venturing. Professor Zeisberger is Senior Affiliate Professor of Entrepreneurship and Family Enterprise at INSEAD, and she's also the founder and academic co-director of the Global Private Equity Initiative. She is also the program co-director of INSEAD Executive Education's new Corporate Venturing and Innovation program. Claudia, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. So I thought the best way to start our conversation was with an introduction into what corporate venturing is. So could you just give us some background into the field uh, and what exactly is meant by corporate venturing? So thanks very much, uh, Alex, and uh, pleasure to be here. And sure, let's start off with corporate venturing. So maybe it may be useful to just start with an explanation of venture capital. So venture capital, by now a, uh, a very large industry and quite well known, but funds that are being raised with a specific purpose to invest in startups, meaning early stage companies. We have different types of startups. They can range from uh, pre-product to pre-revenue, and most of them are usually pre-profit um, nowadays, not at least. So um, that's basically the venture capital, uh, venture capital funds. And venture capital funds raise their money from, a, from many different institutional investors pension plans, individuals, high net worth individuals, and so on. Now, corporate venturing is uh, quite different because in a corporate venture environment, the investor that invests in the fund is one single investor, and that is usually a corporate parent. So take, for example, um, we have actually many choices nowadays, but let's take Intel. Intel, well-known um, company, which has had a corporate venture capital fund in the um, um, in for the longest period of time, one of the most sustainable ones. And they basically invested in this corporate, uh, in this entity, and asked that entity to start investing on Intel's behalf in startups. Now, this is all very exciting, but nowadays what we're talking about is corporate venture ring in the widest uh, space. So corporate venture capital compares to the venture capital funds. But corporates nowadays, and that's what gets me quite excited, are quite um, experiential and quite willing to experiment with different models. So there is, yes, investing in external startups, there's also the possibility to build those ventures internally. So basically ask your employees to come up with ideas and then develop businesses around those ideas. We would call this venture building internally, often done in, in conjunction with, uh, um, with consultants that may help the corporate to uh, until they learn the ropes. And then there are some corporates that have started to say, okay, we don't really need to invest in those startups. It's good enough if those startups basically become our, if we become the client of that startup and thereby gain the benefit of exposure to them. So the venture client model. So there are many, and this is just the tip of the iceberg, there are many ways for corporates to get close to 
the startup ecosystem. And I think when we're talking about venture capital and corporate venturing, we need to be very clear that whilst venture capital funds clearly invest in those startups, whilst corporations have a much larger palette on to choose from, a much greater sample menu, if you like, on how to engage, how to work with startups, with the whole ecosystem. Typically, I would imagine a sort of event when we think of a venture capital fund, yes, they will invest in, in startups uh, at, 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 at early stage or seed stage, if you like, or others, with the ultimate aim, correct me if I'm wrong, of, of perhaps making a return on that investment, one day exiting the investment and making money from it. Uh, corporate venturing, is it somewhat different? Uh, the aim, is it, I, I suppose, is it, uh, do they have the same outlook? I mean, yes, clearly, they'd like to make money from that investment. But in is it more of a strategic aim fundamentally, and then the money come the money from the investment comes afterwards? How does it differ in that respect? So spot on, and that's actually quite a it's quite a tricky conversation to have. But let's imagine that the corporate actually looks at its engagement with startups and the benefit, the returns it may reap from that engagement on a spectrum. On the one side, there is the financial returns. And on the other side, there's the strategic return or potentially even as one uh, corporate once said to me, the intelligence gathering part. So now where does the corporate set or define the mandate of its activities in that space? There literally we have as many models as we have corporates that are engaging in corporate venturing out there. So think of it as a as an as on a spectrum, financial returns only, which is would then be equivalent to the venture capital funds, or strategic output only. Now, most corporates, when asked, and I've probably spoken to close to a hundred corporates in the last four years, um, on their mandate, they will say, we target both. Now, obviously, that makes it very complicated as a target, as a KPI for the team that works on behalf of the corporate trying to engage with those startups. Do I focus on the um, financial returns or do I focus on what benefits potentially on the strategic side or on the intelligence gathering side, our corporation, our our mothership, as we like to call it. So there, obviously, there are some tensions and you will naturally arrive at uh, forks in the road where you need to decide, are we going to focus more on the financial side or are we going to focus more on the strategic side? And let me just comment that defining a strategic output is not trivial. So even if we say, okay, we don't really need financial returns necessarily. That comes as a nice kind of icing on the cake. But what we're focusing on is the strategic side. Now, let's define that because having a mandate is crucial when one goes into corporate venturing. It's always important to start with why. So the why is super important. Why are we going into this? And if we are trying to define a strategic outcome for this corporate venturing activity of the corporate client, that is not trivial. What's interesting to me um, in the research that I've done on the, on the topic is when uh, it seems to me that uh, corporate uh, venturing, at least, um, 
started very much within the tech sector, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I, the ones that come to, to mind for me personally would be Google, who, who've grown, uh, you know, almost exponentially thanks to uh, buying in of expertise. Um, is it true today that um, this is this practice has become, you know, far more far more commonplace beyond just so you say Silicon Valley uh, 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 and, and sort of the sort of tech startup environment? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, this is uh, spot on. If we would have had this podcast uh, five, six years ago, um, I would have still said that they're, you know they're, the focus is very much when it comes to corporate venturing is very much driven by corporate parents out of the tech environment, no doubt. Nowadays, this is drastically different. I would argue there's no corporate out there anymore that has not at least considered becoming active in corporate venturing. And those that haven't jumped in yet have clearly had conversations and are considering on how to engage in, um, in, in, in corporate venturing. I mean, just to, just, to give you, just to give you an idea, we've had in the first half of 2021 alone, we had just under $80 billion of CVC-backed funding that has reached startups. Now, that is an, that's an ambitious number, but let me just say that's twice as much. It's two and a half times as much as we saw in the first half of 2020, and it's easily twice as much as we saw in the whole of 2020. So 2021 will be, and is already now, a record-breaking year in terms of dollars deployed by corporates in startups in whichever shape or form and number of corporates that have started to be active in that space. To be honest, I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time staying on top of who is, um, um, who is actually doing corporate venturing and who is not because the list is getting longer and it's literally changing on a daily basis. Just uh, having just come back uh, two months ago from, uh, from the Bay Area, I was stunned, obviously having not had traveled there since 2019, to see how many of the Asian and European corporates now have teams and offices set up in Silicon Valley that are specifically focused on engaging with startups. I mean, there's a couple of interesting things um, that you raised there, I think, um, uh, starting firstly with those Asian and European uh, funds that have moved uh, uh, into, say, Silicon Valley. Now, when we think of the likes of Google, yes, it, the Silicon Valley is obviously California, but we're definitely seeing an uptick across all regions across the globe. I mean, in particular, uh, when... Uh, from the likes of yeah South Asia uh, and in Europe in, uh, uh, as well, sort of a sort of trickle tr uh, ripple effect down uh, across the globe. Is that would that be right? It's a global phenomenon. Uh, there's a global trend to the so global corporates are moving, are considering being active in corporate venturing. It is across industries, no longer restri restricted to technology companies no longer restricted to consumer companies. It literally has gotten to the point where, where companies are actively exploring to expand their, yeah, call it innovation activity, their R&D activity beyond what they have been doing in the last decades internally, in-house, 
and actively reaching out to the ecosystem. I think it's pretty clear that uh, that every board is clear that um, the the cycle of change when it comes to innovation has clearly accelerated, and there is a concern, even by the well-established corporations, that they are they may get left behind. And one of their that's why I mentioned early on the intelligence gathering part. One of the first steps really is to engage with the ecosystem, whatever your whatever your industry may be, whether it's automobile, whether it's mobility, whether it's anything air transport, right? Uh, whether it's the consumer space with the very different changing, fast changing tastes and demands of clients. So can you really do those changes justice going forward by purely being a internal um, or an inward focused corporation? The answer very likely is no. At least that's the answer that most of those corporates that have joined the fray in the last five years have arrived at. They said, look, whatever the model is that we're choosing and Ultimately, it's horses for causes, right? We have to decide what fits our need, our R&D team, what complements our R&D efforts, what complements our industry. But we cannot afford not to be engaged with the startup ecosystem. So let's find a way on how to do that in the most efficient and the most effective way. The one thing that comes to mind are many of these larger companies that are have the capacity to do this kind of corporate venturing are also those same companies who have probably fairly large internal R&D units. From your, from your um, travels to the Bay Area and around the world and, and interviewing people who are involved in this, how do you marry the absorption of, say, a CVC unit and the competition, let's say, perhaps some might feel, from the internal R&D? How do they ensure that they don't compete against one another, but rather complement uh, one another? So again, I think it, it goes back to the question of why. Why is the corporate parent, why is the mothership interested in engaging with the outside world? If it is purely for intelligence gathering reasons, then you know it may be sufficient to have a very loose relationship with your internal um, and potentially very established, as you rightly said, uh, R&D activities, no doubt. If your if your need though is to really work with those startups and get those startups close to not only your R and D teams but potentially even your business units, obviously the CVC then this the, the corporate venturing team in the widest sense has to work very very closely with the uh, with the parent company and ensure that on the one hand the entities and the parent are very much aware and clearly engaged in what the corporate venturing team is surfacing and is then willing to engage with any of those startups, be they grown internally or be they uh, may they come from the outside. So again, it goes back to what dear corporate parent, what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to complement your R&D efforts or, and there are, again, there are models out there. That's why it's very difficult to have actually a conversation about corporate venturing because there are probably as many models out there as we have uh, corporates. Um, there is a good argument to be made, and quite a few corporates do make that. They say, we don't want our corporate venturing team 
to be close to our R&D team. We are quite happy to have a bit of competition between those two entities because by doing so, the two may actually surface very, very different ideas. Obviously, on the corporate level, then at one point, those ideas need to either be merged, married, or need to be discarded. Um, But it's, it's a good question. It goes back to the why. It goes back to ultimately, what are you trying to achieve as a corporate? It's interesting, you know, there are different approaches to to even corporate venturing and so many different models. And I think what strikes me um, when we go back to when we spoke at the very beginning about strategic aims versus, say, financial goals, you know, I mean, that's a gross generalization, but just to sum it up very broadly, um, it does make sense that if from a VC, perhaps, uh, if I compare the VC uh, model and, say, a corporate venturing model, it seems to me that there's a much more symbiotic relationship within the corporate venturing world because ultimately you need to absorb a company for, not just so you can gather intelligence perhaps or learn from them, but equally the startup needs to reflect your aims as well. You have to, uh, uh, as such, it has to work as, you have to work as one to achieve goals and i suppose in that respect it's a win-win situation um the the corporate gains those insights the perhaps better return on their investments new innovations and at the same time the startup also gets intelligence from the corporate am i correct i mean it works in both ways correct or well i mean you know in in Mm. an ideal world yes i mean both parties as in any joint venture as in any marriage right both parties both entities gain both entities feel that they are taking uh, taking something positive away from it um nevertheless there are we got to be very clear the 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 relationship of a corporate venturing unit with its startups is not a conflict-free one. And those conflicts, I think it's very important to be very clearly aware of those potential conflicts and then actively manage them or preempt them from the start. So let me give you an example. Um, Imagine you are a startup that uh, is uh, developing new new electric batteries for mobility. And let's say one of the large car manufacturers actually gets close to you and invites you to um, either whether they invest in you or not, doesn't really matter, but invites you to to work with them. So the immediate question that would come up at that point, and I do actually, I I do mentor quite a lot of startups. That's part of my role at at, at INSEAD and also what I personally quite uh, enjoy. So I have quite regularly questions from founders, more so now as you can imagine, then uh, let's say 10 years ago, that are saying, well, we're having, we're raising money and we're having real interest from corporate uh, investors. How do I think about that? How do I compare them to, let's say, the investors that are, that are plain vanilla VCs, let's call it that way. Um, and obviously, I mean, the question is, what are you signing up for? So, for example, back to my example on the battery, uh, the little battery startup. If I go with uh, automobile company in A, does that mean that it closes the door for me to sell my product to any of their competitors? If so, am I comfortable with that? Because at that point, I'm heavily betting on one horse. It may be a big parent. It may be a big corporate parent. It may have a fantastic R&D team, a fantastic group of engineers that I would love to work with. But in the meantime, in the long run, 
is it really the for the best of the startup? So the startup has to ask itself quite a few questions um, when engaging with corporates. And then obviously, you know, what kind of rights would the corporate like? So for example, are you comfortable with your startup that you may have nurtured through engagement with your engineering team, with your R&D team, with your business units? Are you comfortable with um, that startup to then engage with the outside world. So, and that's usually where actually the corporate parents need to really do some thinking. Because usually, traditionally, when we look at investments by corporations in companies, startups or not, usually corporates are biased towards majority stakes. So corporates rarely like to invest minority investment, minority um, against minority equity stakes. So, Obviously, by definition, in a in a startup, you from the get go, you probably will start off with a minority stake. Does that minority stake come with certain rights that allow you to decide or to to nudge the startup in one direction or the other? Do you even want that? Will you be shortchanging yourself? Because think about it. I mean, at that time, the moment you become, let's say, primus inter pares in that amongst the investors in the startup. All of a sudden, the startup becomes much more like you as the corporate parent. And again, it goes back to why, you know, wasn't that wasn't that what you were trying to avoid by setting up a corporate venturing unit? Didn't you want a corporate venturing unit that encourages you as a corporate to be quite different and to step outside your comfort zone? So I see the comfort zone, whatever happens inside the corporate, shouldn't the corporate venturing unit be the one that says, hey, yeah, we're going to lean ourselves a little bit further out of the window. And we're quite happy also to fail at that point. We're quite happy to uh, to fail, learn, rejig the or circle the wagons and see basically what we can do. Um, so it's complicated. I mean, the relationship between a startup and a corporate, a corporate entity Again, whether it's an investor or not, ultimately, the engagement is a controversial one. It's a tricky one. And I think it's really important for both sides to be very aware of those potential um, controversies and manage them from the get-go. I mean, there are very good, uh, very good corporates, uh, the corporate investors as well, that have done this for many, many years, have good reputation, and it can be done. But it requires a little bit of heavy lifting and a little bit of um, of a thoughtful approach. So when you think about this relationship building phase between a corporate and a startup and all the questioning that needs to happen, is there also a mindset shift that needs to take place? For the startup, I mean, it especially if the founders are very young and may not have any corporate experience, for them, it may be a complete different universe that they're all of a sudden engaging with. So, I mean, it starts with um, who are the decision makers? What's the time to decision making? Because usually in a startup, you're very nimble, you're very fast, you act and react very, very quickly and make decisions very quickly. Corporations are often not set up to do so. And there, for example, it is really useful for the corporate to have a unit in between that can help the startup to kind of get used or get adjusted to the way the corporate may act or may react. And also 
to help the corporate to understand why this startup all of a sudden needs decisions in a very, very in a much much faster way in a much faster cycle and why this startup needs even those decisions so again you know the, the the targets i mean let's be be clear about that too even as a corporate getting your head around and let's say reaching a level of comfort in the startup ecosystem is not trivial Right. I mean, let's let's be clear. I mean, corporates usually are quite comfortable with with mergers and acquisitions, but again, there we are acquiring ready-made, established companies or units, and it's very clear to do due diligence on them. It's very clear on where who we're going to merge them with inside uh, the corporate entity. So it's a very different conversation. The moment we start talking about startups, there's very little, at least in the beginning, at the seed stage, to to do due, due diligence on. I mean, you got to be ready to invest behind, you know, three guys in a PowerPoint presentation. Mm. And that's not trivial. And also, coming back to a point you made early on, the timeline is crucial to understand. So, again, merger and acquisition and, yes, merger integration usually takes longer than expected. But you have a pretty finite timeline, at least a timeline by which you can say, okay, it worked or it did not work. Now, when engaging with a startup, the timeline, the runway can be substantially longer, the engagement. I mean, as, a, as an early stage investor, you're usually staying with your startups for seven to 10 years. If you think about that, I mean, that's a long time for a corporate mm. to, um, mm. to show that they have the patience to yeah, work with that startup and help them and groom them to... Um, yeah, to, to, to potentially become a successful entity. So you touched upon startups in the previous answer. Just going a little bit further into depth on that side of things, I'd imagine that when we come to think about mindsets uh, and the shift that needs to occur, I'd imagine the same also applies to them equally as it does to the corporates. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, I mean, I mean just the, the, the questions and the, the concerns from the startup side. And, and I would argue nowadays, as a startup founder, you need to be ready. You need to be ready to think through those questions. As you're growing your company, the odds of you being approached and being um, yeah, courted by a corporate um, investment investment entity or even by a corporate entity for partnerships is getting the, the odds are increasing by the day so as a startup founder it's really really is important to you know think about this and it, it it very often goes back to to even what are you trying to achieve are you as a as a as a founder looking to you know build something sell it out very quickly or are you building something that you will be handing over to your children and grandchildren so it starts with with basic questions like that but we we may need another podcast for that for that conversation. Yeah. There are many points to be covered on the engagement of corporations with uh, startup founders. Thank you, Claudia. Yes, I think there is so much to talk about in the corporate venturing world that I feel that we've barely scratched the surface. But we will be back for part two, where we will continue our conversation and diving a bit further into the worlds of startups and and corporates and how they can work together.